Hey, welcome to Arts Forward MKE. I'm Lindsay Sheridan, back from a bit of a break with some more episodes. Today we have a double feature. That's right, two episodes released at once. Both highlight Milwaukee-based professional vocal early music ensemble, Aperiani Mom. Aperiani Mom means open your soul in Latin. In the first episode, I talk with two leaders behind the group, Daniel Coplitz, Executive Artistic Director, and Jackie Willis, General Manager. Then, head over to the second episode for a conversation with three ensemble members past and present that were part of the ensemble's recent Black Voices Matter panel, Austin Baer, Tiana Sorensen, and Nicole McCarty. All right, so to introduce you to the musical world of Aperi Animam, let's listen to a clip of a 16th century collection of songs called The Sibylline Prophecies, written by Orlando de Lassus for the Duke of Bavaria's court. This recording is from a production the group did with Milwaukee Opera Theater, Cadence Collective, and Amanda Schuf's last October. Then, Daniel, Jackie, and I dive in. Please enjoy. Daniel and Jackie, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having us. Really glad to have you here and have an opportunity to learn more about a Periani mom. Um, so I wanted to start off by giving you both an opportunity to introduce yourselves um, by name, by role with a Peri, and then please share with us a time early in life that you experienced art in a way that impacted you deeply and stuck with you. Cool. Well, I guess I'll go first. My name is Daniel Coplitz. Um, I serve as the executive artistic director of Aperiani Mom. I'm also the founder. Um, I guess the executive artistic director, that was my title at the beginning. That's where we are now, three years later. Um, so uh, an impactful moment of art. Um, I kind of took my own twist on this. Uh, I, as opposed to something that was early in my life, I have a few of those. I thought um, I'd share the, the moment where I decided to sh shift from a more um, 
classical opera performance um, trajectory to uh, to featuring or focusing more on early music. And this this moment happened um, in December of 2016. I um, went to St. John's Cathedral downtown. It's the beautiful, um, I think it's like Spanish Baroque on Cathedral Square, Cathedral. And I saw the group Stile Antico. They're a British ensemble. They actually do a similar thing that we do with Operiani Mom. They specialize in um, the performance of sacred Renaissance polyphony. And it was the first time that I had ever, ever heard it performed, number one, live and by professional singers. I had heard it in church choirs a bit and I had never, it never really touched me or um, made me feel some sort of way. But when I was there, um, it felt like I had sunk into the seat that time had stood still. Um, the, the way their programming, number one, was just, it was, it was meaningful and um, informed and their singing was so polished, but tender. And I, I remember feeling like I had never really been in the present moment as much as I felt like I was right then when I was just being basked in reverberance and human voices mixing together in mathematical tones and intervals. Like the art of perfect music was just filling the space and filling me and I was just struck and I actually, I left the, the concert that night, that was like four years ago now, and it felt like my chest had opened, that there was this, this, um, this heaviness that had been taken away and that like my soul was more free to smile and just be. And that, that experience actually is what led to us forming Aperionium and where the name comes from. It means it's the command in Latin, open your soul. Um, and it, it comes from that, that visceral reaction my body had when I, when I heard this music performed the first time professionally. So um, that's that impactful moment. Mm. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Welcome. Jackie. Um, I, my name is Jackie Willis, and I sing with a Periani mom as well as serve as the general manager. Um, my impactful moment was also a little later in life. Um, it was when I was a sophomore in college and it was, I guess it was the, I had this week <laughs> where I was so unsure. I was already a music major, um, but I was so unsure if I wanted to continue or not. And I think I was a, a double major at the time, dance as well. Um, but I was considering switching out of it. And I received two pieces of advice, one from Tanya Cruz, who was my voice teacher in college. And that was, it's very simple, just to follow your interests. So I said a yes to a lot of things and it naturally kind of weeded things out. Um, so that was a very, <laughs> very helpful piece of advice. Um, and, then, and then probably like a day or two later, I got, advice from Colleen Brooks-Johns, who is also a voice teacher at UW-Milwaukee. And she said, don't have a plan B. <laughs> and that was the, I think that was the moment where I was like, okay, this is, this is it. This is what I'm deciding. This is my life. And 
it kind of made my mind go into a tornado of what I love about music and it and it was very very eye-opening to me that that moment I was like okay I'm doing this this is my life this is who I am Mm. thank you I'm really excited to dive into what those moments of presence and clarity brought and how that led to the creation of a Perry. But first I do want to ask, can you tell me more about your Milwaukee origin story? Jackie, I know at least you went to UWM. Tell us what got you here and, and what's kept you here. Um, I was actually going to go to Stevens Point. I was very set on that, but I, then I did not get in to the music program. Um, and so UW Milwaukee was kind of a later decision. I didn't decide that I was going to Milwaukee until mid to late summer. Um, but I also just, I would go to UW Milwaukee for a solo and ensemble in high school. And so I was really comfortable here. And I think I came to visit my friend who uh, was a dance major and I just, I just, felt like it was the right choice to come here instead and it was closer to home um and it just it just felt right because there was a comfort and i loved how the campus was i liked that it was a city a metropolitan area so i thought that would serve my career better um so that was that was the decision uh, it wasn't it wasn't super emotional or anything it was just kind of I got accepted here and not at Stevens Point. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, there are like these weird similarities between you and my story, but then also like complete opposites. And it's, it's, it's funny. So um, I also, um, when, when I was in school, I, I grew up in Mosney, Wisconsin, which is a small town in like the northern central part of the state. Um, it's a town of like 3,900 people. Um, and um, it, we had a really, weirdly enough, our teeny little high school had a very strong choir program and all of our football players sang in choir and we were all part of the musicals and all this kind of stuff. So there's like that, that homey vibe, but it was also uh, a town kind of just rife with um, homophobia and racism and uh, just in like intolerance. And I, I also had applied to Stevens Point. <laughs> I got in, sorry Jackie. It's a lot easier for uh, male presenting people to get into music programs. Um, but Stevens Point was about a half an hour from home. And mm -hmm. for me, I did not want to be near home. They gave me uh, a little bit larger of a scholarship and like it, it could have I guess I don't know where my life would have went if I would have went there, but um, being 30 minutes away from home was a little too close, like uh, with all the things I just mentioned about the town and how it, I didn't really feel, um, I didn't really feel like I was a part of that community. And I didn't know much about Milwaukee. All I had known growing up is that um, there were a lot of black people in Milwaukee and um, we went there to see the zoo. That That is it. That's all I knew about Milwaukee, but I did know it was on the lake in that there were gay people in Milwaukee and that there were there were there was modern thought there was loving and compassionate thought and there was artistic expression happening I knew that um and I also got accepted to be Milwaukee and when I got that letter it it actually wasn't a hard decision 
um, to come come here. It it was mostly about the fact that I felt that I could find a community for myself here. Um, and I did, and I'm really grateful for it. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm still here. I didn't just get my degree and go back home. I, this is my home now. Um, I've, I found a lot of um, friendships and relationships and like meaningful artistic work here that I don't think I would have found in other areas of the state. Um, but it's also like, it's about three and a half hours to see my family. So it's, it's not like I'm living in New York City or Chica even Chicago. I still can see my family. I still can um, take part in Wisconsin tradition and don't, I still feel like I'm in my homeland. So, yeah. So tell us more about founding a Periani mom. Um, for those that don't know, it, you all started and run this professional vocal early music ensemble, started in 2017. Uh, early music might be a repertoire that's unfamiliar to some people. So looking forward to if you can share just a little bit more about what it is for that for folks that might not know. Um, I, it, it was wonderful to hear about you talking about being so present in the moment because I feel like so much of early music lends itself well to that certain sort of transcendence and presence that not all music does. So, you know, what got you interested in early music? How did you two and your colleagues come together to form a pairing? Okay, so um, I had mentioned that I had, I had seen that group um, and it was like, I think it was December 2016. But when I first came to UW-Milwaukee, I saw a poster in the hallway and it was advertising a paid choral scholarship position at All Saints Cathedral downtown. It's the Episcopal Cathedral. Um, and I was like, oh, I should, I should check that out. That looks like money for singing. Oh, cool. My first, my first semester of college, what? There's, there's payment. People get paid to sing in Milwaukee? What? And so I auditioned and I got in and I was like, oh, cool. And um, every week we sang um, sacred Renaissance music. And we sang and we sang medieval chant, and it was a part of their worship. And it's actually kind of funny because I come from like a troubled church situation, but I ended up finding really cool employment at a church. And um, I guess singing that every week um, really just I don't know sparked that interest. I was I would start to hear these these peculiarities that these differences in in I guess we could look at it in modal music as opposed to tonal music. We we get a little bit different idea of harmony and structure when the when we get to the Baroque period, like 1600 through the 1750, um, there's a shift in harmonic thinking. And the harmonic thinking before that, before tonality, we call it modality, um, it was so much, it was so interesting because it was, it was so unfamiliar. We hear some modality in like Pink Floyd and folk songs and stuff like the, the folk revival in the 60s and stuff. That's where we, we hear church modes and the modes. Um, I know a lot of classic rock people are like, yeah, the modes, modes. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was so interesting and weird. And I was like, oh, I got to know more about this. I like, what is this? And to be honest, we weren't hearing uh, too much about it in our programs. Like we were in a voice program that put on operas. Mm -hmm. And um, we, in our history course, we did the first, the first history course you'd be on, you learn about medieval and Renaissance music and that's great. But that's pretty much it. You sing a choral piece every once in a while in choir, and that's that's about it. Um, and there were some of us um, that liked it in the program, um, Jackie being one of them. And I guess 
over those those periods, those first years of school, we kind of just meshed together. We 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 knew that we had bonded over this this little weird interest we had. And after a while of being sick of just not getting the opportunity really to to explore the repertoire and explore what it had to offer, um, we decided to just get some people together, some people that, I mean, there were some of us that we already knew we liked it and some, there were some other choral singers in the program. And we started meeting on Monday nights and we looked at, um, I guess it was a survey of pretty popular early music pieces. You could say like the top hits. And we gave our first concert in May of 2017. It was called Revival, a tribute to forgotten music. Um, we really felt that it, it had been forgotten. That didn't really get its fair share of presence in the Milwaukee art scene in our in our music program um and we saw a lot of value in it and thought that it needed to be shared yeah i guess i want to go back to um you saying it lends itself really well to kind of like the the mindfulness part and being mm -hmm. present mm -hmm. and that is is something that our group really values, I think, and, and did right from the beginning. That's, that's pretty much what got me into early music was I was, I would actually listen to Eric Whitaker radio on Pandora. As a, oh, yeah. Every good vocal <laughs> student does yeah. in college. I have a very, I have a very strong recollection of, I went to a school with a large chorus, choral program, even though I was not a singer myself. Mm -hmm. I have a really strong memory of sitting in like a freshman year dorm, the lights all off and like six of us huddled around listening to Eric Whitaker. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. what I would, that's what I would do. And I remember even like on the, you know, choral retreats and like sitting on the bus on those long rides, I would, I would listen to Eric Whitaker radio. And that's what kind of, I, I think I knew what, I definitely knew who Palestrina was because I had sung a, Oh, classic. But, um, but I, I think Eric Whitaker Radio really got me to the other hits that were on our program. And Eric Whitaker, he's loved, like a... He's I just like love sitting and like, I, because I'm a very stressed out person that this music would just calm me down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's what, that's what I really loved about the music. And I guess we didn't, we didn't really define it yet. Um, I guess early music is this like, mm. um, it's, it's actually debated. Uh, people that like early music, I, we don't all agree on like what early music means. Um, some people consider early music to be from like the earliest notated music to, I guess, okay, everyone pretty much agrees like in the, in the music of the West, the Western art, I don't even know if we have the right way to describe what this, this what classical music is really. Um, but um, a lot of us all agree that uh, the beginning of early music starts at the earliest notated music. We know that music was happening. I mean, pr pretty much since humans have been humans, we think that that music has been made, that singing has happened. We found like bone flutes from like 10,000 years ago. We've been making music, but it, we don't have, um, we don't have surviving scores or, or uh, like written down music until about 800. Um, don't, I think it's about, it's about the eighth century. That's, that's more accurate. Um, and the thing that we really debate on with, with the term early music is when early music ends. Um, some of us think that the, the 
the the duration, the time, the the length goes till um, the beginning of the Baroque, which we put at approximately 1600. Some people think that early music includes the Baroque, which ends at around 1750, if we're talking like art history standards. Um, I'm kind of of the idea that the Baroque gets enough attention. Um, let's just, let's call early music ending at the beginning of the Baroque, because um, it's kind of exhausting to say, music from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Like, when I think early music, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I generally think, um, medieval music and renaissance music and most of that most of the music that we have that survives um is is sacred music music that was written for the western church that was where the the first ideas um the first notation happened was in the church um and so yeah renaissance music that exists from the renaissance in the middle ages is the is early music to us I could, I just want to just clarify a little bit of things like what I think contributes to this, I, this, this transcendent feeling, like why we get this. So um, it, we've said a few times now that we, early music, um, it feels transcendent or it's meditative. Um, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that um, this music was like, was conceived of with rules of math, as opposed to just like, musical feeling like we think about things now like most of most of music was um conceived of in intervals and relationships between them and in in a way that's like so perfect that it it, it feels calm because it's it's so mathematically worked out like it's it's so figured out with the rules of like of the world that we figured out like we i just saw this picture the other day on facebook it was of the harmonic series and how the the waves of the harmonic series lined up to form the shape of a shell like just like we see these these relationships between harmony and music with the natural world and there's something about that there's something about when you hear a chord that rings perfectly in tune and and how there's this this vibrancy you feel it in your body it's not just it's not even just an auditory experience it's a physical experience um and people have said they're like, you get to your ending chords in your concerts, and I just feel like I just sink, yeah. I just let go. Yeah, it's it, there's a sense of like it feels like everything's right, everything's right in the world. And then there's also the fact that it's a, it's almost always in Latin, and we don't understand it. So it allows us when you listen, you sit in a concert of early music, you aren't having to think about the text. You're not having to like analyze and really like dig in and try to understand it. It's kind of a an experience where you just have to let it you just got to let it happen and i i think that contributes to the calm easy nature of early music and i i think that's it's why it's so beneficial to people um i think we all need a little bit a little bit more of that um peace and resolve for ourselves so yeah i had the experience of coming to one of your do you call it vespers Compline. Compline. Yeah, yeah. I had the experience of coming to one of your Compline performances. Oh boy. Well, certainly before the pandemic. <laughs> um, and I, it was so delicious and so short. I walked out kind of in a haze after, like, oh, I want more of that. And then, you know, the pandemic hit and we have to put a pause on in person. But I think 
I, I really think that a Perry fills this niche in Milwaukee that seems to me to have been previously unfilled. <laughs> and I wonder if you can speak to what your dreams are for the future of a Periani mom. Sure. So um, our, I'd, I would love to have um, the resources and funding to be able to put on more concerts um, to be able to pay our singers a bit more. We don't really have there's not really any choral institution in Milwaukee that can really um, provide choral singers with the, the monetary sustenance that's needed to produce high art, um, at least in a way that, that they can sustain their living and put in the time that's needed to make that. Um, so I guess that, that's a, um, a future goal that I'd love, to, I'd love to see. We have a lot of ideas for how we want to um, get early music involved in educational programs and in in schools around the area we have a lot of ideas it's it's more of a time and resources issue um that goes on right now i mean we got our our nonprofit status uh two years ago and so just like a lot some things are being a, being a volunteer nonprofit organization things just move a bit glacially um but yeah educational programs um i think i think appreciation of this music does have to be taught to some extent um, and, and not, not fully, but I think being able to, um, being able to play something simple on a recorder or something, or being able to sing with others, I, I think that we, we can fill, um, especially that, that gap that exists with in, sometimes in the, in the Milwaukee public schools with, with schools that don't actually get the funding that they, that they, they need or should have for the arts and, I'd love to, in the future, be able to fill at least a small part of that um, that need. Um, yeah, more concerts, education. Those are those are the big things for me. I would love for people to see that a program of early music is happening and maybe not roll their eyes or think of it as like stuffy religious music. Because even yeah. Even fellow musicians, professional musicians, have that reaction sometimes. And, and I do understand totally where they're coming from. Um, but also, uh, we participated a lot in um, the Madison Early Music Festival. And once you get to know those people, that's just like completely not what it is. Um, early music musicians are some of the most hippy dippy um open-minded <laughs> people you'll ever meet and they love to just play and i guess once you once you know and the some of the rules and and how it works it's like it's so much fun and it's really freeing and i love going to early music concerts because i just feel like it it makes my body release and i would love for people to have that reaction too instead of instead of being like, oh, no, I'm not going to go because I already know what it is. But I oh. think I think Periani Mom is doing a lot of creative ideas and how to make this, make people see how beautiful this music is. It doesn't have to be religious. It doesn't have to be people just standing and singing. It can be theatrical. It can be more than just standing and playing music like it it can be beautiful so yeah. I, hope, I hope in the future 
especially for my fellow musicians and colleagues. <laughs> I hope one day they can be like, okay, yay, early music. Well, and something I really love and admire about a Perry from what I know of you all so far is that you are anything but stuffy. You have an incredibly cool vibe. Um, you know, your the way that you the way that you all carry yourselves and the way you present yourselves, you know, online is is really young and fresh and diverse. And um that's exciting. Jackie, great, great point on that. I think that's I think that's one of the like biggest weaknesses that people just number one, don't even know about it hey. that this even exists i know they don't give it a chance they don't give it a chance they're like it's stuffy religious music and it's like <laughs> religion is everywhere everything that we do is religion every every choice every behavior that we that we have is is our our religion every like to use that as an excuse to not to not experience when that could be really it's not like it's not like we take doctrine and ideas and shove them down people's throats or anything no. i mean but it's not, it's not like we're having a church service. We take that, we take this music that's special and we organize it into a, we organize it in a, a meaningful and relevant, 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 like elephant, relevant um, way programmatically to make it not stuffy or like a church service. We, we have programs that talk about, um, we have, we just, this last October, we combined um, chromatic motets by Lassus talking about um, the birth of Christ with a um, with a newly commissioned piece by a Milwaukee composer, a woman, pairing it with she, her opera was about giving birth and becoming a mother. And we we paired these two ideas, the old and the new, together. And people loved it. Some people even claimed it was some of the best art that was made in Milwaukee that year. Um, and half of it was that stuffy church music <laughs> like but no people that were that came to that concert were exceptionally moved and um i think that 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 idea that idea that it's churchy or stuffy is just it's not helpful it's not it's not real it's not accurate um yeah speak, and, it's, and it's such a fad to be like mindful and like meditate and and like kind of dig into your inner self and that's what this music does and if you put religion aside but that's also what religion does we're so. all trying to figure ourselves out how the world works how we fit in it and like that's i don't know that's religion to me and we're not we're not here to prescribe rules we're here to just come together be struck by this beauty and ask questions with this music and with one another about this world and what it means to live um so daniel jackie times are different now <laughs> you your last concert actually if i recall correctly was just as everything was starting to shut down for the pandemic and so you were able to still produce that in person and stream it and then the summer and continued stretching on of the pandemic has happened and i wonder if you can tell us a little bit about what you're up to now, um, what led to putting together the Black Voices Matter panel that we're going to talk a little bit more about soon. Uh, tell us what you're up to now. All right. So yeah, you mentioned our concert in March. That was great to be able to do that. I'm happy that we got to do that. Um, we then, after that, um, we had a concert scheduled for May and like, like all of our arts organizations around, we canceled it and all that kind of stuff. And um, over the summer, we actually... We actually continued to meet and we would meet um, on Zoom meetings once a week. 
and there was a we did a variety of like team building exercises games and did a few um, lectures on early music history and theory just like some refreshers for us um, and we actually come about July we started doing some some organizational back of house work we started working on some stuff like some some branding work and some re like clarifying our mission and our values and um, that was the, the stuff that we did more in the summer and um, talk about the summer um, the eruption of the um, protests um, uh, speaking out against the the unjust murder of another black man in our society um, when that when that was all going down I guess it, at first in June uh, my response as a person I guess not necessarily as a as an artist was I'm we're going to be involved in these protests and it was days and days of protests in Milwaukee and um, it, was, it was terrible what we were protesting for like what we were protesting for but amazing to be a part um, of something and be a part of a, um, a, such a, a big collective of people wanting change wanting change for the better um, and at, once those um, closed out a bit in Milwaukee I sat for a bit and my my partner Joey who actually sings in the group we were sitting and talking and we were wondering what what can we do right now what what can we do as artists what can we do with our platform what can we do to to support our black neighbors and our black colleagues what what can we be doing right now and um we had seen a uh kind of a model from Los Angeles, there was an arts arts organization out there that did a, a, a kind of similar panel to what we ended up doing, um, where they had their they had their black artists sit and chat about their experience as black musicians. And looking around in Milwaukee, a city that's nearly forty percent black, um, and no arts organizations, like at least not not vocal ones, really, not a choral organization, not an opera organization, it was really having this conversation and after talking about it, we're like okay this we have a platform we have a message we have we have members who have experienced this and and if they were willing we we wanted them to have a platform to share their experience so people could really know what's actually going on i know we, we struggle with seeing we, we're so concerned with ourselves just generally like that's our nature where we we worry about ourselves in our own situation and it's sometimes hard for us to really put ourselves in another person's shoes and see what they're going through and if we're not able to do that very well we in order to affect change we've got to hear what that perspective is we've got to know what's going on and there needs to be a platform for that communication so i guess that was the impetus for this thanks for listening that's a wrap on part one. Be sure to head over to part two to hear a great conversation amplifying black voices in classical music. I'll see you over there.